0: The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Mm-mm-mm. We are gathered here today to bury the idea that God is dead in NYC. Anna Marie, could I have some organs here?
1: Mm-mm-mm. You see, God cannot be dead in NYC. I said the Lord cannot and will not die in New York City
0: about 2,000 churches in New York City and over 4,000
1: places of worship. That's 4,000 places to raise his name from on high. That equates to over 6,000 places in this city to get your spirituality on from the depths of your heart to the soul of this town.
0: Can I get an amen, Anna Marie on tech? Amen. Can I get a shucky ducky? Ducky, Ducky. Religion is present in NYC. Christianity. Judaism. Buddhism.
1: Rasta. Scientology. The Church of Hanson, and let me tell you, that church got some mm mmmbops. According to the Pew Research Center, about 77% of New Yorkers believe in God, with about 29% of those people visiting a place of worship at least once a week. For a city that people claim is full of godless heathens, New York is a pretty good place to gather, discuss, and pray. Then the pandemic hit, and these religious institutions were forced to reckon with what it meant to hold congregations when there were no physical spaces to hold service. But what do you do when the choir director has to become the IT guy for your church? How do you
0: baptize someone from six feet away? Pastors and rabbis were forced to figure out how to get their congregants to keep
1: the faith amidst all of the loss and turmoil of last year. Pass that bucket and communion bread because we're about to ask ourselves, is God dead in NYC? I'm Drexin Clemens, comedian, writer, commentator on
0: BuzzFeed. And guys, I completely understand why Luke Cage only defends Harlem.
1: I'm Eitan Levine. I'm a comedian and writer from New York. I've written for the New York Times and Amazon. And I think Daredevil should be obligated to defend more than just Hell's Kitchen. It's like 30 blocks. This is NYC is Dead, a podcast focused on proving how alive this city actually is. Every week we speak with New Yorkers that have direct influence and insight into the industries that this city is famous for. And hear how it's changed in the wake of 2020. At
0: the end of each episode, we'll get a little closer to answering the question, is NYC dead? This week, we talked about whether or not God is dead in NYC and who better to talk to for me than one of my friends and confidants, Portia Gates, who happens to be a pastor in the city. I mean, she has been in the ministry for many, many years, and she gave some really interesting insight on not only how churches are adapting to the pandemic, but also churches' response to social justice.
1: Well, she she also spoke a lot about just honestly, like how religion and social media have started to cross over the past year. You know, like I one of because everyone's been home and because the physical places where churches has been shut down, there's been this this new brand of like Instagram and just social media pastors that have kind of risen up that they weren't they haven't been tied to like a pulpit or to a specific church. But they you know they've used just the the concept of their own personal numbers and their own personal reach to to get their message across. And that's something that the church has never really had to deal with. Yeah, and and I don't think there's ever been like
0: even a moment in history, maybe 2000 years ago, like where an individual person could have such a following that like so many people hop in on that following and join the church. That's never happened. I don't think, I can't,
1: I can't even name a name. Can you name a name? Mm, Jesus? No, I'm joking. I, to me, the biggest fear that these institutions have is the idea that individuals can make their own communities that aren't relying on the institutions there. And Portia is someone that had left a church. She left it being related to a specific institution and has kind of found her own way and has also seen this rise of the social media uh, religious star that's kind of popped up.
0: Because at this point, it, it would seem that religions are learning to f- adapt and figure out how to be more inclusive. And so people are not following uh, as much what the institution is setting out to do, but more so following the people who align with their views and their, their values. And-, and this is
1: forcing the churches to become more progressive. Yeah. This is making the institutions try to decide whether sticking to their old way of doing things is worth potentially alienating a new crop of more progressive, you know, people that are coming. And,
0: and so uh, this is Portia.
2: The first week of not going to church, everybody lost their shit. Let me tell you why. Because like, just because I wasn't working anymore didn't mean I don't have clergy friends, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and everybody told me their shit because they can't say it to their congregation. So I got all the tea okay I got tell all us the tea. tea I want all the tea so friends if you're listening I won't name who you are but you're gonna know your tea by because I'm, I'm about to spill it it's hot <laughs> <This morning. laughs> um so all over the
1: table
0: baby yeah
2: everybody lost their shit they're like oh my god what are we gonna do some people who didn't have streaming services or didn't know how to stream their church was like what are we going to do mm-hmm. like people are not going to come to church people aren't going to give their tithes with what's going to happen and it's like you know it's going to be okay you know what, you don't have to gather, just get on your computer and just preach your sermon and stream it out to your people. And people are like, oh my God, what are we gonna do? So the church and specifically had a a little bump in the road, like so people who were not technologically up to code, you know, um, as it, as their fire codes would be, you need to have your technology code. They they really struggled, like a lot of churches struggle. You saw a lot of people go into panic. Um, Just like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to see my people like we're not going to gather. So people really got afraid Um, and some people persevered. But you really saw how behind the church as a whole really was because people didn't know how to function when the norm was no longer the norm. And Mm -hmm. so. It was a scary time for people because people were like, "What are we gonna do?" I'm like, "You gonna do what you've been doing? Just worship in your house, unless you—that's not what you were doing, then Ooh. hello." Wait, okay. so do
1: the church? The church like have a technological upgrade? Like, how did the church respond?
2: So yeah, a lot of churches did have a technological upgrade in terms of they needed equipment. They needed to have like a sound team. So now we're starting to see in 2021, a lot of these new positions emerge like, emerge, like a minister of technology or minister of virtual, like a virtual minister. So things people didn't think about before they're starting to do now. So one church I will say who didn't suffer was like a Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago. Shout out to Pastor Maltz and all of them because they Shout out to
1: had- Hey, Pastor Maltz. Hey. Hey, hey. Say hey, hi, Pastor say Ma- hi, Drex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, feel like he, I feel like a kid. Say hey to this man. Hey, hello, Pastor Mark. Hey, in
1: Pastor the Ma- eye and Ma- shake his hand, Drex. And Drex- <laughs> He's so dope. But no, we
0: like in touch. Somebody's hand. I, look, I know a few of the songs. Go ahead. Continue. Yeah. That's not
2: even a church song. That's Diana Ross. Are you serious? I'm oh my god. We were singing it at church all the time. Like the, that I thought song that was is Diana wrong. I'm oh my god. god. My god I doing oh my just fine.
1: Gotta gotta be down because I'm not at all. <laughs> okay. Was, that's from the Bible, correct? Is that not from the book of Ecclesiastes? <laughs> no. Damn it. Okay. Eventually the church did like kind of was it just like a matter of also just like shipping iPads to older people? I assume that the issue was with the older people.
2: Let me find out a church got money to ship iPads to older people because most churches I know are broken and can't even afford to pay the people they got. Does the Vatican
1: not give you money directly every...
2: Oh, I don't know what the Vatican does, baby. I ain't Catholic now. I'm good at Baptist.
1: (laughs) Don't make me... Try to figure out the difference between all of them. OK, um, anyway, so
2: you've spent the last
1: year like what have uh, people been doing with God? It's been a bad year for God, I assume.
2: Oh, I don't think it's a bad year for God. I think it's a, pe- that's a bad year
1: for people's trust or faith in God.
2: Uh, yeah, I think it could have been depending on the person. I think people lost more faith in the church than what they did in God. I think that's mm. the, I think people lost faith, not lost faith, but had questions of the institution, Rather than questions of God, if that dive into that. Yeah, I think people really had questions about the institution and like what were the practices that the institution of the church were teaching people sustainable for a time like this? Mm -hmm. Because this is not the first time we saw feast or famine like happen in history, but it's the first time in modern time that we can look at and it's like, oh snap, like something like this actually can happen. Can what we know to be the church be sustainable? Mm -hmm to help us through and helping our faith and undergirding our faith to believe that we're gonna get through this. And most people, you know, like good old school saints, like, like, yes, we're gonna be okay. But then younger people were like, I don't know, are we gonna be okay? Like, what is this? Like, we've never seen anything like this before. But, you know, but in terms of black folk, we know that this is not the worst we've ever seen. So of course we believe that we're gonna be okay. But in terms of just like other folk, it was like, are we gonna be okay? But people who've been oppressed, can understand like, yeah, this is not the worst of times. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we understand that this is literally not the worst of times. Like this, we're gonna be okay, but this is a bad time. But so people have questions of like, is the church and what has been taught sustainable for the everyday person for us to believe that we're actually gonna make it. And so truth be told, as the world opens up, folks ain't coming back to church, right? Mm-hmm. Some people are gonna find new churches or redevelop what their faith believes, find new practices, because I think people believe that God is real, but is the church what we have learned the church to be gonna always be real? I think the church is still relevant, but the church needs to adapt. And we see how the church did not was not able to adapt last year and how it struggled. And people are going to not come back. People have left. The church is out the building. Finally, the church was never supposed to be institutionalized into a building in the first place. But look where we are. How's the church need to adapt? First of all, the church needs to adapt by not being so exclusive, um, and being a place of inclusivity. So, can we start having more space for LGBTQIA persons? Can we mm-hmm. actually stop kicking people out of church? Can we can we get past you know pregnant teenage mothers? Like, can mm-hmm. can we have that conversation? Like, can we stop throwing people out? Can we stop judging people when they walk in because they, they're they a little different, right? Being different is a part of humanity. That's what makes humanity beautiful in the first place. And, and we see a lot of exclusivity that has happened across the church. Like some churches individually might be inclusive, but as a whole, the church is still exclusive. Like everybody's not getting the love. And so like, those are like some of the specifics where I'm like, churches need to kind of reckon with that. Like this is some time that we need to have some conversations. Like yeah. some real conversations, like who are we trying to be in the 2021?
1: You know?
0: Yeah. Like this may be a time where they're learning to adapt. But if you're looking at every system, because I mean, 2020 was the year to look at every system and be like, none of this is working. How do we right. dismantle and how do we adapt and how do we make these systems better or or just abolish them completely? And I've seen a lot of pastors individually blow up on social media, but not the church itself. I've seen people go like, I follow that person. I like what this, is, this person's saying, but I won't go to this institution because I don't like the institution as a whole.
1: The only one I know is Carl Lentz, the, Which- uh, the, Hills, the Hillsong guy. That's the only one. And he got canceled, the one what? that made Justin Bieber celibate, and that's why he married Haley Baldwin too quick. Thank you. Welcome to my TED talk. Have you, uh, wait, you never heard of like Joel Olstein or uh, Creflo Dollar? I'm talking, or... Listen, those, that's a different, that's a whole different category. I'm talking, uh, Carl Lentz's whole thing was that he, like Chris Pratt, went there. He was the epitome of, I wear a leather jacket and I also talk about God. You know, yeah. like he's the one that walks into the room, you know, takes a chair, turns it around and goes, You know, Jesus is a lot like, right guys (laughs) it's like that kind of thing and then he got canceled eventually you're like for for weird sex stuff I don't want to say something something bad and race I know race stuff was also like part of it anyway so that's that's Carl Lentz so that but that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about like individual social media people that have popped on
2: yeah so like a lot of people made their quote-unquote brand (laughs) over this like Leading up to the pandemic and through the pandemic, right? So people are like, oh, like, I don't to say it's, it's terrible, right? Like, it's like weird. It's like people decided all of a sudden, like, I don't actually want to deal with the politics of church, but I actually want to hear this message. And so all of a sudden you see these people who are rising and like leadership and people want to follow what they're saying, but they don't actually want to go to a church. So we saw a lot of that last year. But are you say, one of them? no.
0: Yes, you were posting every you. You went from I, you know what I got. A, I got a I got a modest amount of followers to everybody was like re, reposting your your stuff. All I was like, oh, yeah. Portia, blowing up, okay, celebrity,
2: <laughs> celebrity, <laughs> <No>. celebrity, <laughs> risen And your followers have risen. <laughs> but you know what happened? Mm. What happened was. I kid you not, like I felt so much more free to actually say what I wanted to say, like in general, whether it's social media or on a podcast or just in general. Right. Right. Like I just am more free to speak because I I'm not bound by the institution and I don't have a boss. So I'm like, you can't say that because it looks bad on this such and such Baptist church. And it's just kind of like, mm, but I can say what I want now and I can mm-hmm. say the truth and I can say it like I mean it. So I think people have are looking for people who are just authentic. And I mean, I just show up as my whole self. I can't help that people like what I say, but I'm just speaking my truth. But it scared me, though. I will say that like I've got real quiet for like months because I was like, oh, my God, people are like actually listening to me. And I never wanted to be like that person that everybody wanted to like hear from. Because like that's such a responsibility. I was like, one day I might actually say like the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And like, I'd be scared of like being canceled. But I would hope that I would never have to say anything that requires me to be called in. But, but there's so many opinions about it. and now I'm just at the point in life of like I can't care what people think about me. I just have to speak the way I'm supposed to and that's just mm. to be honest. So all I know how to be honest. Like people are really on fuck shit, so I'm going to call it out. So that's what it is. The church has
0: always been like very, very prevalent in social justice issues. Like, the, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, talk to me about it. Cause, uh, cause I mean, you're looking at the sixties and the civil rights movement, the church had was such an integral role in the civil rights movement. Do you think that that is translated to
2: this time period? I'm going to be honest, honest fam. Let me tell you something. This whole MLK, I have a dream and the church was behind him. Bullshit. Let me tell you something. I'm breaking news. MLK who was a preacher, was on the front line. But let me tell you something. You know how many people did not invite MLK to their churches, did not want him there? Most black churches was high in sadiddy and, and following into respectability politics and did not want MLK coming to their church because they, they thought that MLK was trying to disrupt the... Oh man, we worked so hard for this. We're finally getting some justice. Like we're getting some equality and here you come talking about you want to make stuff equal and uh, we, we we got what we need. MLK, okay, sit sit down, shut up. Like let us just live. Like we don't want to get lynched, we don't want to get shot, we don't get we don't want our buildings burned down. Just sh- 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 sh. most churches were like that. Mm. Uh, it was only a small pocket of churches that really got behind the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement was not a lot of black people. <laughs> like really like a lot of black people did not get behind dr king dr king was very you know jesus minded and very like we got to be about the work of social justice we got to put our bodies online most churches were like nah we good we comfortable we okay let's just worship and go home let's just be respectable black folk and mind our business mlk was like nah we can't do that and i'll tell you mlk well, at first was kind of like i don't actually want to do this i don't want to be the face of anything but it was the women of the nlacp that was like actually but you need to do this <laughs> you you need to be the one. So it was the women who set him up and were like, you're going to be the one. So it was a movement of women coming together and other men who were at the forefront, but women were really the, the backbone of the civil rights movement. And they were not a whole bunch of church going folk. As people think they were, the church just happened to be an institution, a building that they could have a lot of meetings in because, you know, if things are segregated, what other place of assembly do we have? It was the church, but all church going folk didn't get behind them. Okay. That's something we got to talk about in real time. So, specifically to New York, right? I think about churches, and I, I will actually name churches, <laughs> I will say who are about that life. St. Paul Community Baptist Church of Brooklyn, New York, or the Concord Baptist Director, Church. Say oh, hi to St. Paul. Hi, St. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> hey, St. Paul. Hey, St. Paul. Those are two churches. Now, there's a couple more, but those are two specific churches that are nice, larger sized congregations mm. who are about the work, who are doing the work of social justice, who care about the movement, who are, who are showing up. So these are specific churches. What are they everywhere. doing? So they will go to the marches they will actually go to like the state house or go to like like have meetings with Cuomo or like we'll have meetings with de Blasio who sit on his council of like, you know, actually trying to help move the needle in -hmm. the community. But then there's some other churches, FCBC, First Corinthian Baptist Church, who will hold like drives for like coats or like feeding people or actually like doing things with like single mothers and actually giving them support or hosting COVID vaccination sites, right? This is the work of like, this is what the church should be doing, right? So like they were very on the forefront, right? FCBC and Harlem. So these are like churches who are taking a stand, who are not about trying to be like celebrity preachers, but actually saying we are concerned about the work of our community and the work that is happening. But then there's some churches who... All they want is just to preach and have a high, holy, good time. (laughs) And may have met up with President 45 who are well-known Republicans. You know, I'm looking down at East, somewhere in East New York, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, who are not about rocking the boat, who are not about standing on the front lines. For instance, Asian hate. We see Asian hate happen in the community or even speaking out about anti-Semitism or even speaking out about George Floyd or Breonna Taylor. Mm-hmm. Things like that, like, but just want to keep the peace. There are churches specifically who are just trying to keep the peace. You don't ever see them out in the crowd. You don't ever see them out marching another church that's like really on the forefront. A newer church is the double love experience in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, another a Presbyterian church. That's on the that's on the front lines is Lafayette Presbyterian that's out in Brooklyn. You, there's a lot of churches in Brooklyn, y'all.
0: Yeah. I see, I see. Bur- Brooklyn's got it, apparently. Yeah, yeah.
2: Brooklyn's really making some noise. Like some just like little churches here and there. You never even heard of them. Like wh- when the last time you heard St. Patrick's Cathedral being on the forefront of something?
1: I haven't.
0: Or the,
2: or the New York Diocese. That sounds like an Amazonian. I didn't even know. <laughs>
1: It's
0: my so like, George, like, oh, oh, one, wonder woman's
2: fighting the diocese
0: today that's crazy <laughs> that's uh, so portia final question for you is god dead in nyc
2: no i just think god is in multiple spaces mm. i think god in, in new york will always be alive because new york is literally nobody has been through what new york has been through new york has sustained so much and new york will come through this too But I think that people have to be more broader in looking to where God is and where God is moving. God is at the parades. You know, God is out here everywhere, like at the marches. God is on the ground all the time. God is with the people of New York, always. New York strong forever.
0: Last
1: but not least, Aton Levine, Drexton Clemens. Uh, what do we do every Saturday? What are you doing this Saturday? Can I tell you? Every Saturday eight o'clock, what I do is I head down to 100th and Central Park West. I do a little show with this guy, Drexton Clemens. Maybe have heard of it. I think guy. I've heard of the guy. We do the a guy. live show every Saturday night. We like to record some of our podcasts at the show. Uh, so this is a recording from that a recent uh, show. And you know what? If you're in town, come on out. Even if you're not in town, visit. You get to LaGuardia. You take a $70 Uber. How's your mother doing? Bring your mother. I want to see her. I, I wanted to check in. Listen, <laughs> well, so I'm your I'm stepfather, stepfather. Okay? Hey. And you're going to call me. You can call me dad. You can call me Rodney. It does not matter. And I'm not here to replace you. Let me just make sure that this is clear. You and your mom have a thing, and I don't want to step on that thing. Okay? <laughs> this is a recording for the latest uh, from uh, a recent show. a uh, thing uh, uh, based in New York uh, an industry and we talk about how it's thriving and this episode that we're recording now is the God episode! Ooh, la, la. Right. Where are my Jews at? Alright, where
0: are my Christians at? <laughs> okay. Wow! This is the first time we have been no, to... no. This like... Like, I mean, look, I still believe. Do you yeah. have risen. Sorry, I... <laughs>
1: Jews who's atheist here any atheists?
0: atheists? Wow. where are I agnostics where are my people
1: the most Jewish fan of all time. <laughs> but who and why? And who? And to why? And to who and to what? Okay. That's I the synagogue, don't know. That's synagogue by the way, if you've never been to synagogue.
0: I, I do I fuck with agnostics way more than I fuck with atheists. Because agnostics are like, ah it could be anything. And atheists are like, it's nothing. Yeah. Your beard? Nothing. Everything about like, you're like, ugh.
1: It's a hoax. <laughs> it's nothing. Nothing means anything. Now, the uh, thing about it. so I went to all boys Jewish school, which yeah. I don't know. They're they are there all boys Jewish school. Yeah. Any, just uh, say, Okay. I'm just saying. You're the third woman I've ever met. Uh, <laughs> 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 just to give you, I've never seen women in in person. This is this is a story. Like, it's a sale about this. Is that uh, my my sex ed class? This is the entirety of my sex ed class. What happened was that a rabbi got in the room and he said. Okay guys, we're gonna be mature about this, okay? (laughs) Ejaculation must be held to the vaginal canal according to the tone. (laughs) None of us had met women before. Let me just say (laughs) this. And then he gave us a forty-five minute talk on on not touching women. That was that was the entirety of my sex talk. That sounds like the the plot of The Handmaid's Tale. It was. That's, I grew up in Handmaid's Tale. That's I grew up, insane. I grew up in Handmaid's Tale with TVs. Like we were modern orthodox. <laughs> we were Mets fans.
0: My. <laughs> we also didn't touch
1: electricity on uh. <laughs> Saturday. Yeah.
0: No, I I grew up Baptist, but in, in a weird way where like my parents would only take me to church when they were fighting. <laughs> right? <laughs> we're like me the dad we're all doing Sunday. I'm like,
1: well, No, I I do it, you know? What's the difference between a Baptist and then, uh, are you Baptist, are they? You? What are yeah. you? What are you? Oh, Pentecostal. Pentecostal? Pentecostal? Okay. Oh, my this God. I ate there once. No, uh, I, uh, <laughs> uh, what's the difference between Pentecostal and Baptist? Pente- uh,
0: Penteco- uh, Baptists are louder about it. Oh, about okay. it. That's literally it. Baptists are the Jews of
1: Christianity. Right, Pente- <laughs> right,
0: right. Christianity they're like oh yeah yeah we're Christians. Baptists are like you must know that we did it. We got the choirs baby. We got the choirs doing their thing. But here's the thing with my church is uh, I would always fall asleep after the choir. Mm -hmm. Right? So it would be choir. Then it would be preacher preaching stuff and I would fall asleep. I never got a sermon. So my parents big punishment was they were going to move me to the front row of the church if I kept falling asleep. Right? I'm 12, this does nothing for me. All I did was just become part of the sermon at that point. So I'd still fall asleep, and then he'd be like, and then God said, hey, someone wake this kid up. Said, <laughs> sleeping in the front of the church, and uh,
1: and and my parents stopped
0: bringing me to church. No, you know, that's, that's how I got out of it. Do you
1: know what my threat was? And that's yes. the last thing we'll say. My threat was, whenever I was doing bad, my mom would always be like, do you want me to send you to public school? Do you want, me to, do you want to get AIDS in public school? <laughs> And then she would also go out last, she would be like, your grandmother didn't escape the horrors of Auschwitz for you to fail this math test. Um, <laughs> that was it, Which, My My uh, punishment was private school because I didn't want to wear uniforms. Oh! Yeah, literally
0: every bad thing I've ever, like I, I was almost an actor. I don't think I ever told you this. But well, I, I was, your button down
1: shirt told me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but I yeah. <laughs> i, I you
0: know, I'm
1: I read about Meisner in a novel once.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was almost an actor in third grade. I did *Taming of the Shrew* and like, in like middle school or whatever. And my mom was like, "You're gonna be an actor. You're gonna be an actor. I'm gonna set you up with an agent, get you an audition in my arts." I went to the agent's room and cried for half an hour because I never wanted to wear tights again. <laughs> and she was like, "I'm never bringing you anywhere again," and oh I never
1: did it. You could have been Shia LaBeouf. I could have been Shia LaBeouf. I could have had a coke habit. <laughs> In, the, in nature like yeah. everyone else are you guys ready for the show and we spoke with mordechai lightstone who does social media for chabad uh, for those unfamiliar chabad is uh, those jews that are on the street asking people if they're jewish handing out free matzah they hand out hanukkah they're like more they're a more recruitment kind of uh, group and they're also in the Jewish community, they're like their whole thing is about being friendly and opening. And honestly, in colleges, uh, the Chabad house is where you would go if you want to get wasted on a Friday night, to be uh, completely honest, free meals. Chabad in college was watching a lot of like very unaffiliated or just non-Jewish people being like, oh, wait, free food and booze. Hell yeah, I'll do this. I love Chabad, dude. <laughs> I love them. But after you get out of college, you know, they're a big, big organization. And uh, we got to speak to someone that is involved with the social media there and just talk with him about how Jewish institutions have responded to this past year of uh,
0: craziness. So take a listen to the interview.
1: Mordecai, what, what do you do?
3: I do many things. Uh, I'm a rabbi. I'm a family man. I do social media for um, Chabad. And my wife and I run a community called Tech Tribe for Jews who work in technology and, and digital media. So people kind of work in the intersection of high tech and connecting online and things like that. We have a community, people that are basically sick of the Internet, want to get together and, and, you know, experience something real and meaningful. Wait, so it's an uh, it's an offline meetup for tech, for tech people. Right, exactly. It's a, it's a refuge from this reality that we've thrust ourselves into on social media and especially for people who work in that space. And a chance to come together and connect over real food, real drinks, real people, and kind of have some something to anchor yourself in the in the maelstrom of digital reality. So waiting to put the phone on Drake. Working on that one. But, you know, yeah. huh?
0: <laughs> Drake's a hard yeah. pull. He's a hard. Do you,
1: do, do you deal with a lot of celebrity Jews?
3: Uh, a little bit, not as much as others. I, I deal with like internet celebrities, so it's like it's a different level. You know, what I mean, people are Twitter famous. That's my that's my crowd.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who's the most Twitter famous Jewish person right
3: now? It's got to be Aton, right? Thank
1: you. Uh, Thank
0: you.
3: <laughs> Finally,
1: someone with the bravery to say it like it is. Okay, so back to
3: Tech Tribe now.
0: Yeah, actually, how was COVID for trying to connect with everybody?
3: It was amazing, right? No, I mean. <laughs> 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 Remarkable. 10 out of 10. Would uh, recommend.
0: Let's yeah. do it again. Yeah. Let's run it back.
3: The, the, the sabbatical year, you know? I mean, just take a year off and just sit in front of a screen all day on Zoom. Um, I found that whenever people are kind of mixed up and, and and feeling, you know, unanchored, so to speak, due to the events in the world. So it also opens them up more to conversation and connection in ways that may not otherwise. And so as a rabbi, COVID gave the opportunity to study with people one-on-one more, you know, via Zoom. But uh, you know, once we could get together at 11.30 and like study, you know, uh, Hasidic texts until like one in the morning, mm-hmm. just because COVID kind of un- upended everything anyway. And, you know, checking with people, phone calls, stuff like that. So the work continues—the work of connecting to people and trying to find meaning. Especially because everyone was online so much more during COVID. You know, normally people interact in real life. This thing that we, you know we're only now starting to get used to again. But because things are so online during Corona, was a chance I think to connect to people and and maybe build deeper new connections that didn't exist otherwise.
1: The practical like thing about it was that Chabad was always in my head, like the recruiter, like they were. The people that are handing out matzah to, to Jews in the street—people are asking, like, "Are you Jewish? Are you Jewish?" People putting in the phylacteries, right. onto just people in the street. That was, you know, in I think the a lot of people are exposed to Chabad through this external effort to, you know, in everyone knows about those guys that are. So,
0: wait, you know, are they are they like the ASPCA people, where they're like, "Have you heard about the pets, the, the, the animals?" <laughs> Oh, no, like a green
1: piece, but less intrusive. But they were, so they're the ones that are always trying to seek out Jews and people who are affiliated with Judaism and trying to kind of get them to do like,
3: a, a, you know, a Jewish thing. Uh-huh. Right, uh-huh. exactly. So kind of tied to this idea is because we're all connected and we all have, you know, this responsibility, not just even among the Jewish people, but like really among society as a whole. So therefore, anything you can do to encourage someone else to do something good in this world, you know, creates a bond between that person and the infinite essence between that person and God, and therefore, you know, if you see another you know, Jew, it's like, hey, do they have a chance to, to put on tefillin, which are the phylacterys, which is the word that perfectly explains tefillin, right? um It's this concept. Everyone of these the phylacteries is English for those who don't realize.
0: Why are there so many holidays, and why doesn't Aton want to hang out with
1: me? Okay, wow. Okay, right no, we got it. So back up. You so you work with the Chabad social media effort, correct?
3: Yeah, I, I started tweeting, and then I, I went to some of the people I work with and said, you know, let's let's do this on a an official capacity. Um, and really use it as another means to connect to people online, Um, mainly so that we can give a the tools to be able to uh, send you to Jackson and be able to say that, um, you know, you can't take out with he's saying.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. At some point, I'm just like, you're making stuff up. This is... (laughs) <laughs> like it's this, this is the exact same premise for every holiday. Listen, hala
1: holiday is real. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's, it's, a it's, it's Day. No, wait, it's so working. so wait, so what has it been like to, to kind of be like the social media person for Chabad, especially over like the past year? How has your job evolved over the past
3: year specifically? I'd say so, I mean, listen, people are on online more, people are connecting more, and it was about taking the tools that you know were already in place and using them to really you know, actualize that connection. I say not not in my realm at all. Um, but I have a colleague who helps run, you know, a network of uh, kind of Jewish uh, Sunday schools so that kids can you know connect you know once a week and learn from some some duties and maybe they go to public schools, they don't have access to a full Jewish education. And so suddenly Sunday school is canceled. So what are you gonna do? So over the weekend they they put together the tools necessary to live stream a central Sunday school class that could then be viewed by kids all around the country. And so over the course of the weekend from, you know, Thursday or Friday, whenever the city set that, shut down until Sunday, they set it up and there were like 40,000 kids that were able to attend um, live stream Jewish school on, on on Sunday to be able to study a little bit and and connect. So the, the potential there to do really amazing things existed. I mean, ultimately, it's as follows. COVID was awful. It messed everything up. It turned everything upside down. And in many ways, you know, I don't know if society will ever fully get back to what normal was beforehand and that's real you know, i mean people die. people are sick from that you know people are lost jobs these are all real things those of us these- guess, who are privileged to make it through uh, are able to rebuild our lives i don't know this sounds like a downer but no um, but, but ultimately we have the ability to not just go through this experience and say we lived it and got the didn't even get a t-shirt so that's our new merch but that it gives us the opportunity to change ourselves as well and to find new ways to connect and to continue to move forward and build from that No, I don't have all the, you know, the, the, I don't know exactly how we can fully rebuild and and grow from this experience. But if you live through something, you have to grow in some way. And so I think that's my outlook through all this is that, you know, we found new ways to connect to people online, new ways to, you know, study and to learn and, you know, new relationships and whatever it is. So, you know, we we have to grow from it. We have to take something positive from it.
0: I mean, it's been a month and a half for Jewish
3: people
0: with everything kind of going on how's the synagogue handling it? How are you
3: handling it? I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's real. You know, I have a, a friend who's, you know, a, a rabbi in uh, Salt Lake city, Utah, and he had a swastika, you know, etched into his door, uh, the door of a synagogue. And that like never happens there. So there's like stuff going on in the world. It's the
1: only time there's been a vandal by a uh, that the guy was Mormon.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the world's angriest Mormon <laughs> somehow. Right. But I mean, listen, it, it's, it's easy to feel afraid, and I don't want to minimize the need to be careful and the need to take anti-Semitism seriously, because these are real things, you know what I mean? I mean, and it's, it's it's a real problem in the world. And the fact that as a society, sometimes we have a hard time dealing with anti-Semitism, depending on where it's coming from, or everyone has their political outlook. And whenever anti-Semitism fits into it, you see them on Twitter, they're all over it, you know, it's the worst thing ever. And as soon as it's inconvenient for them, you know, wherever they are on the, the spectrum of politics, suddenly, you know, they're, they're ignoring it, explaining it away or whatever. That said, I think that getting caught in that is very dangerous as well. Because fear is very, very dangerous. Fear causes people to hide and to act irrationally and prevents us from doing what we need to do. And so I think, you know, during this time, I, I told people, listen, you know, it's not right you know, to scare people. Be serious, be aware of your surroundings, know what's going on. But at the same time, you gotta be proud of who you are. You can't hide. Hiding won't do any good anyway. And we have to be positive and look at all the good things around us. You know, and if you focus on that way, I think it it gives a more realistic look because the reality is as bad as things are now. We're not facing, you know, a band of Cossacks in in, in, in Russia, you know, 150 years ago, whatever it is. You know, it's far better than any of those things. And also it, you know, it underscores how many good people there are out there and it calms people and focuses them and stuff like that.
1: Did Chabad at all address any of the social justice marches last year, any of uh, George Floyd protests at
3: all? I wouldn't speak from what you know, Chabad does as a whole because Chabad is a very large, large organization. I'm not a spokesman for Chabad in any sense or anything like that. Um, and in general, Chabad doesn't make statements. But I think what is interesting is kind of the Lubavitcher Rebbe was the leader of this movement. Passed away in 1994. He continues very much to inspire and to lead. You know what we do today. So he had a very radical view. It's actually not radical now, but you know, in the, in the 70s, about um, the role of prison and policing and things like that so much that from a Jewish point of view, prison is antithetical to our humanity. Humans, all humans, Jews, non-Jews, we all exist in this world to do good things in this world and to change the world for a better and to, you know, take positive action. And when somebody does something wrong, you go wrong. First, it's a crime. When you throw them in jail and basically throw away the key and, you know, you leave them in there to rot, you know, even when they do a real crime, let alone if they were innocent, falsely accused, things like that then you're denying them the basic human need to do good in this world. There's no repentance in jail. You know, we know that, right? It doesn't actually create reform. And if anything, it creates more crime and more problems by hobbling people and preventing them from being able to lift up their heads and express themselves as, as human beings. And because you deny their humanity, you know, ultimately it's the cruelest punishment possible. So he pushed very much for, for prison reform as something that's that's very needed. And today there's an organization called Olive, which is very active in that and kind of lobbying for those needs. What is it, Olive? Because it, Olive is, it, it serves people in jail and their families, as well as people in the armed forces and their families. Just because both of them are kind of out of their element, and this chat once involved, but also it, it advocates for prison reform and, and and things like that. So in in that case, when we look at the injustices that exist in America, in my point of view, this is all an expression of the fact that the system denies the humanity of of certain people in a very you know profoundly wrong way, and it's our job to see the humanity and to see the godliness within every single person and to work on a way in which we aren't caught in this cycle of crime and punishment, so to speak, on a way of, of, of connecting at a higher level. But I think practically speaking, it interprets down to actually, you know, connecting to people, actually make sure that people aren't, you know, aren't suffering and aren't denied their ability to do positive things in this world and all that. Is do you Have you seen like a social justice push within the communities like over the past year? I've definitely seen that. I have some people I know that actually You know, they they actually made a a march down Eastern Parkway to to protest, you know, police brutality and things like that. So it definitely, definitely exists. Uh, Wait, I think this a Jewish march? Was that? Yeah, a Hasidic march, you know, Crown Heights. That's awesome. Yeah. The reality is there's so much we have in common. And when I think sometimes as a society today, we get very caught up in the kind of dialectical differences of how we express things, so to speak. When we look at the core things that we share, finding humanity in other people, making sure they have the chance to express, you know, prison reform, things like that. You look at prison reform as an issue. It actually attracts a very diverse, you know, people. You, know, you get everything from people on what we'll call, you know, you know, the far left and, you know, whatever it is. And you also get like libertarians that are like, you know why well, it's waste my money. So let's find out. When we don't get caught up in how we're different, we focus on the actual issues we share in common. I think the ability to get the work done and actually create change is is very strong. You are a wealth
0: of knowledge and and we really appreciate talking to you. Um, is God dead in NYC?
3: Without a doubt, no. If God's dead here, he's dead everywhere. God isn't dead. New York City is is an expression of godliness. You know what I mean? It's, it's the messiness of God in this world. It's where this concealment and where, you know, because listen, you, know, you look at the world, you don't see God. Maybe you do. In which case, you know, either you know, you're know you high spiritually or high on something else. But, um, <laughs> but you know, generally speaking, New York City, is a lot of concealment, a lot of cover-up. There's the hustle and the, the bustle here. And it's very hard to see. On the other hand, you have that profound human connection. You have those beautiful moments, just like the falling of a leaf is somehow an expression of godliness. You know, the, the soda can that's, that's rolling down Park Avenue or whatever it is also is, is an expression of godliness in some way. Um, and so without a doubt, I think this is the place with so many people and so much energy and so much potential that really it's the ultimate revelation of godliness in the world.
0: So is God dead in NYC? Hell no.
1: Even God rests. God taking a break was so important, they gave it a whole sentence in the Bible. And you know, that's Genesis, baby. In fact,
0: God is more alive than ever in New York, as churches and synagogues are learning to adapt and move into the 21st century.
1: Religious leaders are becoming Instagram famous, and places of worship are finding ways to expand their messages into the communities they're in with acts of service and more inclusive practices.
0: Yeah, people may be a little bit more socially distant, okay? You may have to wear a mask. You may not be able to touch everyone's hand, okay? But I don't want to. I hate. all
1: right? And we'll get through it together. Because we're New Yorkers, and this is a Pew Research fact. The only thing New Yorkers believe in more than God is common sense. And UFOs, but 60 Minutes
0: said that was okay, okay? Let's band together and eat, pray, love our way out of this pandemic.
1: And for you heathens out there asking, God is not dead
0: in NYC. NYC is Dead is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producers are Julia Cassidy, Eden Sedley, Anna Marie Johnson, and Leslie King. This episode was produced by us, Drex and Clemens and Aton Levine, a.k.a. the Pastrami Boys. This show is edited by Maureen Bigas.
1: You can follow us on Instagram at @thisguydrex, this guy Drex, at and at NYC is Dead Podcast. Or email the show at nycisdeadpodcast@gmail.
3: at gmail. See you next week.